There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's the Tom Bernard Show. Sitting in for Tom Bernard, I'm Dave Schrader, along with Tevin Pittman, Andy Brand Bernard, Cassie Schrader. We will be back right here on the Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to Walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. We're back. This is the Tom Bernard Show. We've got uh, some dumb crimes, stupid criminals we'll talk about real quickly. Uh, weird crimes taking place, too. Anchorage is, is hopping with the uh, strangeness. Anchorage is like one of the most <laughs> alcoholic places in the country, so... How do you like this headline? Man was beaten, doused with bleach before being kidnapped in Anchorage. Well, I guess you want to clean. Yeah. Before. Don't want, to, right? don't want to get the van dirty. Good God. Two men and a woman face kidnapping charges in Anchorage in connection with a bizarre case involving a stolen vehicle and a man being beaten, tased, and doused in bleach. So no matter how bad you think your day is, <laughs> this guy just one-upped you. Damon Coso, 27, and Bonita Severin, 48, were arrested Friday night. A third man, 34-year-old Peter Kaloon. We're uh, being sought by police Saturday evening. Police have accused Coso and Kaloon of physically assaulting and kidnapping a man named Jerry Haley. The episode began on July 15th when Severin gave Haley her car keys. When she was arrested on a series of bench warrants, according to a charging document written by Assistant District Attorney James Klugman, 
Severin then asked Haley to take care of her vehicle, Klugman wrote. That night, the vehicle was stolen, according to Klugman. Severin was upset she couldn't get the car back and asked people to help her recover it, including Koso and Calligan. Uh, according to Klugman, Severin posted pictures of her Facebook page of Haley and her car and promised a reward for both of them being brought to her. On Facebook? <laughs> too, many, too many years of The Sopranos or what? Putting out a bounty? <laughs> right. Several days later, close to midnight on July 19th, Severin ran into Haley at a store in Muldoon. Klugman wrote in the charges she eventually brought Haley back to her house where Koso and Coughlin were uh, waiting, the charges say. Koso and Coughlin uh, demanded Haley tell them where the vehicle was. When Haley said he didn't know, Koso and Coughlin began beating and kicking him. Then they shocked him with a taser, poured bleach on him, and made him strip naked, Klugman wrote. The men told Haley that the vehicle contained $10,000 that the men needed to pay a debt, according to Klugman. Yeah, for uh, future reference, maybe don't hide money in a vehicle. <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know. Right, where do you put $10,000 in the yeah, car are you anyway? stripping away the side panels and, like, on the interior and putting it Good in the God. door? Yeah, don't, don't, don't hide money. I don't put anything of value in my cars. No. Nothing. No. Of value. I have, like, a couple of 1980s cassettes of vanilla ice and... Uh, <laughs> Peebo Bryson, and that's about it. You can have them. Just take them. I don't even lock the car. Right. Just take them. Don't break my windows. As uh, <laughs> they were threatening to kill him if he didn't go and get the uh, get the car and the money, as they were driving, Haley opened a window and jumped out of the truck at the intersection mm. of Lake Otis Parkway and Tudor Road. He flagged down a construction worker, contacted police, Klugman wrote, he appeared to be covered in bleach. Or is that what he was just telling himself? You mean he smelled like he was covered in bleach? <laughs> right. Because oh no, Andy, no! This is a family show. <laughs> yeah. Officers searched Severin's home and found Haley's backpack, a large amount of spilled bleach, and Haley's clothing, which were drenched in bleach. So the answer is there for you, Andy. There was also a substantial amount of drug paraphernalia, Klugman wrote in the charges. It was a surprise. Yeah, in an interview with police detectives, Corso uh, Coso denied assaulting Haley and said he and Cock. Had simply offered Haley a ride home, and that Haley had jumped out of the truck for no reason, naked and covered in bleach. Right, he covered himself in bleach, I swear. Yeah, yeah. Severin told uh, police detectives she had not participated in the assault on Haley, and that she may have had bleach on the counter because she was washing dishes. Who washes dishes What is this, 1812? <laughs> the lye soap is out? She also claimed to have washed Haley's clothing because it was dirty. You need to learn how to use bleach. Well, I hope they were all white. All right. I don't understand uh, how I kidnapped anyone, Your Honor, Severin told the judge at the arraignment Saturday afternoon. Koso and Severin each face a count of kidnapping and conspiracy. Okay, so quick, quick poll on this. You kidnap somebody, you mm -hmm. beat them, Check. you kick them, you shock them with a taser, and yep. then cover them in bleach after you've made them nude. How much is your bond? Ooh, uh, wait, where question. is this? Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, Anchorage? Hmm. That's a good question. Probably think, not that high because they have so much crime going on. Really? What do you think, I Tim? Would, give, me a, give me a total. I don't even know where to ballpark it, but like I feel it. like that would be, as $100,000, is that too high? Okay. $100,000 a piece or together? In Anchorage? I would say, I'd say probably together. That okay. Would be what, In, what do you think, In Andy? Anchorage, I would say 10000 a piece. 10000 a piece? Honey, where are you going to go? Um, I mean, Cassie. We're in a professional environment. I'm sorry. <laughs> I won't downplay um, your cute face and giggly eyes anymore. Uh, let's see. Well, maybe they can get a two for one. It is Alaska. I would say five hundred for the pair. Five hundred dollars. One hundred people surveyed. Top answer on the board. Survey says twenty-eight thousand dollars bail in both cash yeah. and corporate bonds. Oh wow, they're really going to get. We'll take corporate bonds or cash. Twenty-eight grand for both of them. Yes. Yeah. So you're the closest, mm. Andy. Yeah, I was off. You win an attaboy. Attaboy. <laughs> <laughs> Anchorage does have so much alcoholism and so much crime; they can't afford to keep. How do deals. you? How do you know that? Were you checking uh, it out to see if you wanted to live there one day? <laughs> Recently, we were looking up on the show the most alcoholic places, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure Alaska is number one. Wow, really? Yeah, and Anchorage. Especially being a port town, you know, mm -hmm. there's it's not a great place to live. We'll stay in Anchorage, where a man bites a cab driver, hits him with bolt cutters, and then flees into a peanut farm. 
Wait, there's a peanut <laughs> farm? Right, exactly. <laughs> what kind of... This sounds like a family guy plot, yeah, right? How many weird things can we throw together that don't go? I'm going to bite a cab driver, then hit him with bolt cutters as I flee into a peanut farm in Anchorage. Sounds like a Mad Lib. A 37-year-old <laughs> yes, right. Anchorage man was charged with assault after he bit a cab driver late Thursday when uh, and then attacked him with bolt cutters. In a gas station parking lot, police said. That is just completely a mad lib, right? Okay, so your story is a 37-year-old Anchorage noun <laughs> was charged with verb. Wow, that's yeah, crazy. The cab driver was like, really? Did you just, I just got bit? I got like, bit? Did you get bolt you cutters bite from? Me? The driver called police at about 11.30 p.m. to report the assaults at Anchorage Police. Spokesman uh, MJ Thim. The incident happened at the Chevron on the 5200 block of Old Seaward Highway. The driver said he had been bitten in the arm and struck in the face with bolt cutters. I don't know. If you were a cab driver and there's some guy waving you down carrying bolt cutters, I'm probably yep. going to just no. get, take the next Uber. <laughs> I'm turning my light off. Right, I'm exactly. <laughs> Sandwich time. As officers were ta- talking to the driver, employees from the peanut farm across the street called 911. A man had just run into the restaurant with bolt cutters and was hiding in the restroom. Man, <laughs> nothing like calling attention to yourself. Officers took, <laughs> officers put two and two together and said, that's our guy. That's great police work. Wow, nice going, Dudley Do-Right. A team of officers and police dogs went right over. Employees pointed the officers in the direction of the restroom. Then a man, because the sign restroom wasn't good enough for him. The man ran out of the restroom, through the restaurant, ignoring officers' calls to stop. He ran into a restaurant kitchen, crashed into a wall, and fell down. Is he drunk? He's got <laughs> he to run into a wall. Does he think he's going to wily coyote his way through the wall? Leave that perfect outline of himself. Right. At that point, officers handcuffed the man identified as just Justin Saunders. Police took Saunders to the hospital to check for head injuries from striking the wall. Yeah, I think he yeah. might <laughs> might have yeah. other head injuries, head injuries to investigate. In general. Saunders was belligerent toward police and hospital staff. At one point, spitting in an officer's face. Tim and Saunders. Uh, Tim said Saunders was uh, treated for minor injuries and taken to jail. Uh, Tim or Thim didn't uh, immediately have information about what sparked the confrontation in the cab, but Saunders faces several assault charges. You've got to be pretty angry, right? Yeah, and you'd think you would at one point, if you're running into the restaurant, maybe drop the bolt cutters and not draw so much attention to yourself. Right. Is that how you do it? <laughs> yeah, that's drop the bolt cutters <laughs> and the peanuts. Yeah. Bolt cutters are expensive. It is Anchorage. Oh, that's true. You might need them. Mm. Oh, that's weird. Um, I don't know. Do we go to another biting story? Uh, I'll let you. I'll let you choose. Yeah, let's, we let's can see, go let's... to um, woman bites off woman's nose and swallows it. <laughs> oh yeah, I think we brought that up but never went into it. Or uh, let's see, where, where's this one? Um, Memphis man steals date's car and goes on another date. Oh, oh that's cops, cops, cops respond. Cops respond to a nine one one call to find a four foot gator. Or uh, a man arrested for letting a blow up doll drift into flight path. Mm. Flight path? What, did he fill it with helium for <laughs> some reason? Is that the story? <laughs> well, <laughs> you wanted to get her high, I guess. A uh, 19-year-old was arrested after the blow-up doll he had allegedly tied helium balloons to uh, interpreted, or interpreted, interrupted, I'm going to try the bigger words at home later, uh, flight paths above Canada. If it's an inflatable doll, why didn't you just fill the doll with helium? Why did you have to yeah, that, that's balloon a question. it? The man could face charges for the incident at Vancouver Harbor as police revealed it was an apparent stunt that he was filming. West Vancouver police said two men were filming a video when the sex toy drifted into the sky. Oh. It was yeah, that's what helium as, balloons do. It was described as an adult-sized, adult well, that's good, and shaped inflatable with ten large helium balloons attached to it. The officer believed release of the inflatables posed a hazard to aircraft. We're uh, please take a look outside the left side of the plane. You're gonna see a uh, what appears to be an inflatable sex doll. Yeah, it's how did that call come through? Yeah, yeah, the pilot, like you see birds, you see birds, a plane, it is a sex doll. It is a sex doll. The officers believe the release of it uh, was posing a hazard as officers approached. One of the males released the balloon and inflatable, which then floated several hundred meters into the air. The apparent prank affected air travel in the area. Because <laughs> so, uh, pilots are too distracted right. all of a sudden. They're like, woo <laughs> Hubba hubba. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the apparent prank affected air travel 
as Transport Canada and the Civil Aviation Branch had to send a warning out to pilots. I, I'd love to hear that yeah. call. Both men were arrested, later released pending an investigation. YouTube footage uploaded by an onlooker appears to show the moment the doll drifts into the sky surrounded by colored balloons. One of the accused, the 19-year-old man, was released under a promise to appear in court. YouTube pranker Brody TV later claimed responsibility for the incident on Twitter. I'm going to court on September 19th on a charge of mischief for letting a sex doll that was strapped to a few balloons fly away, he tweeted. So I wonder if you can get in trouble for putting up those Chinese lanterns if you happen to be in a flight path. If you're near an airport, yeah, they take that stuff really seriously. Because yeah. I've never heard that aspect of it, but... Uh... I mean, I guess there's a difference between yeah. Chinese lanterns <laughs> and a life-size sex doll. It's like um, the Macy's Day Parade gone awry. <laughs> sounds like so, a you know a sequel to the movie Airplane, right. like Airplane Three, and they see inflatable dolls flying outside the plane. Oh, we're gonna go to Texas for this next story, where a woman was arrested for biting off part of the nose of another woman, and then swallowing that body part. Ugh. The victim, identified as Tatiana by KTRK, says she and her next door, along with, uh, says she and her next door, along with Jessica Collin, mm. 41. She went, I think they left out the word neighbor. neighbor. Yeah. Why do we check spell check <laughs> no. and grammar check? Um, went out to a Houston area bar last Wednesday. When the group returned to Tatiana's home, Collins allegedly demanded more alcohol and cigarettes. As she's more to alcohol. Do. More cigarettes. Where's my burrito? Tatiana asks Collins to leave her home and claims she was pulled to the ground by her hair. Tatiana says Collins then bit off a large piece of her nose and uh. swallowed it. I didn't have time to react, to push her away, Tatiana told the station. I think I was trying to fight back, but I couldn't. All I could remember was the taste of blood in my mouth. Ugh. Tatiana, who was rushed to the hospital, passed out several times, was not aware her nose had been ripped off until she was in the ambulance. Doctors say she's going to need plastic surgery, but she does not have health insurance. Collins was charged with assault and bodily injury. Hmm. Not when you just assume the homeowner's insurance should take care of that, right? Or, yeah. Because good. obviously people like that have got responsibility in homeowner's <laughs> insurance. Yeah. You bit off somebody's nose, yeah, how, and then swallowed it. How spiteful are you? Ugh, I don't care how bad you need a cigarette. Like you don't need. To, <laughs> <laughs> like, you're I've never been a smoker. Body parts off. You <laughs> yeah. have a problem. Oh, good God! Police man arrested after calling nine one one to find out if he had any warrants. We're going to go to Thibodeau, Louisiana. Louisiana man is behind bars after dialing 911 to check if there were any active warrants for his arrest. According to WGNO, Christian Palicios, 24, called just after 10 p.m. on July 16th. He reportedly told officers responding to the call that he knew the difference between an emergency call and a non-emergency call. He's now charged with unlawful use of the 911 system, the Thibodeau Police Department said. The violation carries up to a $500 fine and as much as 30 days in the parish jail. That seems a bit... Overboard. Yeah, for your yeah. first time, yeah. Right, you call 911. I just, I'm curious, do I have any warrants? You don't, but you do now. <laughs> You're going down hard, bad boy. <laughs> I feel like you should know if you have warrants out for your I arrest. don't, do you? I mean, I could call 911 and I find out. I wouldn't do that. No. They'll, they'll no. put you down for just that. We have to take a break. We'll come back. We've got more to share. And then a little bit later, Harvey Kubernick is going to join us to talk about the doors right here on the Tom Bernard Show. Did you know that about 60% of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy, blurry, or dim vision due to cataracts? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years, but did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery? Yes, indeed, and I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so I called up the folks at Whiting Clinic. They helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options, so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery or clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to RSVP today. That's 855-554-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. Just like all of you, I'd been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it's as great as everyone says. Well, I received my first my pillow and I love it because I have a pretty big melon, pretty big head and 
MyPillow will prop it right up. I can get my neck aligned, and I sleep very well because of it. Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has a very special offer for my listeners. MyPillow is offering buy one MyPillow and get another absolutely free. Don't delay. Order now. This offer expires August 1st. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first MyPillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Call 800-516-5146. Use the promo code TOM or go to MyPillow.com, but make sure to use the promo code TOM. Call 1-800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM. Figured a little man eater would be a good sign. Uh, <laughs> huh? Yeah. Little man eater. The wife leaves, and uh, I bring it back to the to the solid music of Hall and Oates, the gentle sounds of Hall and Oates. I had a laugh. One of my buddies, a huge Hall and Oates fan, right? Yep. And uh, he was so excited. He was in in um, Memphis on Beale Street or whatever for some big blues fest that was going on, and he <laughs> walked into a bar, and uh, John Hall was there performing okay i go so was it just like ooh, here she comes <laughs> man eater he goes no he actually sang more than that they actually i didn't realize how deep their their catalog of music was i went to a concert i won tickets to a number of years ago mm-hmm. it was like one of those i, I liked hall and oats i'm an 80s guy but they were never my right my mix so I, but I went to the show man i didn't realize they had so many songs yeah and i've heard i've never been to one of their concerts but i've heard that they put on an, an incredible sure show in there sure <laughs> they're yeah. still they're still touring i think they were just were they not just in town not yes. too long ago yeah who were they with they were with uh, somebody else too right yeah, I know. I heard, but yeah, they put on a great show. Rod Stewart and Cindy Lauper are going to be here in mid-August. they got a lot of concerts I'm going to check out here recently. And then Steve Martin and Martin Short are going to be in town. Yeah, together. I saw that. They're, what are they down at the casino? At the Yes, at the casino. Yeah. I guess they've got a Netflix special that kind of shows some of their comedy yep. special. So I don't want to watch it because I want to go see them live and, yeah. and catch it. I've always wanted to see Steve Martin. It's been my, my checklist. I'm going like, you know, in the 80s, I was too young and dumb, and I didn't have money to, to pay for right. all these concerts. So now I'm getting a chance to go. So I, I just bought tickets for my wife and I to go see uh, Boy George, the B-52s, <laughs> and the Thompson Twin. Only one of the three will be Camp there. Camp night? Yes. On, uh, what is it, the last night of uh, the State Fair, I think it is. So the day before Labor Day. No, it's on Labor Day. It's on Labor Day. Yeah, I think it's on Monday, okay. Labor Day. So they're they're the big last round-out show. It's the Culture Club, the B-52s, and one Thompson Twin. Uh, we have a caller. Oh, we do. Who, who's on the line with us? Hey, it's Wendy from St. Paul. How are you doing? Hey, Wendy from St. Paul. Doing well. What's up? Uh, you were absolutely right about Hall and Oates putting on a fantastic show. We went to that concert in May. They were there with Train, and it was That's just it was. amazing. Train and um, Candace Springs, whatever yeah, that is. It was so <laughs> I mean, She was pretty good. Really? But Train and Hall and Oates were amazing. So did they, it, and they have a pretty deep catalog. Like I said, I didn't realize. I mean, they had like probably good 30 songs. I actually recognized every one of the songs they played. It was, really? Yeah, blew me away. Well, you know, the thing is, they can't, they can't play everything, too, because there was like 10 songs that I loved, but they just, if they played all the ones that were everybody's favorite, they would have been there till the next morning. And if you depressed me, I would have it said was, there was maybe 15 to 20 songs that they've done. And it, they just kept oh, going. Yeah. And it, it was it was a good show. Although they're kind of the... They're kind of the pop culture version of uh, Brooks and Dunn, aren't they? The country band. <laughs> Have you ever seen those two? I, you the, know, they look yeah. like the exact same thing. Watch. You got the big tall guy and the short guy with the Not, mustache. <laughs> Not really too much into them, but, but you know, the thing I did notice is that Daryl Hall, he can't, that he has to uh, alter how he sings because he can't hit the real, like he used to do a lot of the high right. notes where he forced his voice and he can't do that anymore. So they kind of work around it. Yeah, we saw, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this. I've seen Air Supply three times in concert. <laughs> I swear I was forced. Don't be embarrassed. No, I went you know, to. You and I are both, you and I are both the same age. So it's I, went okay. to, I went to like I Rock Fest. And, uh, you know, I saw them in the 80s, mm-hmm. late 80s, and I saw them in the mid-1990s, and then I saw them in the mid-2000s. And the lead singer, who has a very cool voice, right, very rich, high voice, sounded like Kermit the Frog through the whole thing. And I don't know if he was just uh, having an off night, but it yeah. was just, I'm all out of love, what am I without you? And everybody in the audience is like, is this a joke? 
Is it? And he sang the entire I, concert like Kermit the Frog. I think at that time you just pulled no, a mic and, yeah. and run I a tape, a lot Britney of, Spears style. I think a lot of them, they sounded really good in recording, but they're people that they could sing, but they were never taught how to sing. Well, no, so like, like I said, I've seen them voice, twice in concert. I saw them twice in concert before, and they were really good. I just think mm-hmm. you hit a certain age. Oh, yeah, where the talent starts to mm-hmm. really fade. McCartney is really rough now. Yeah. Like it's yeah. really you can tell his backup singers are doing the majority mm-hmm. of the singing and he'll hit the and then back away from the microphone for some of the notes but he's got that kind of wispy I've, I just yeah. probably should have stopped smoking about 40 years ago <laughs> yep. voice right it's yep. hey dude right well, it's, it's, like, it's like Huey it's like Huey, Huey Lewis he can't makes me sad he can't perform anymore because he's got Meniere's disease he's going he's deaf at that level where he'd have to wear the earpiece and stuff and I feel really bad because he's one of the best concerts yeah he is I saw him out at the state That's, fair too they get some good good bands oh out there. God. Yeah, they do. Out of the grandstand. Right. Yeah. yeah, on occasion you get some good. And then there's a lot of bands I'm like, why are you here performing? Although it was funny, last, it was, I think the last year I did the State Fair with uh, the station I was with, uh, K-Talk, um, I, we got done recording our segment just as Hanson burst into... There, and it was one like of the, the free Umbop? concerts. Yes, it was the free concert. <laughs> it was flipping packed. Really? Oh, my God. There were people, and you could hear it, but I got to tell you, it was still catchy. They sounded like they did 900 years ago when they came out. That's amazing. The and, people that are yeah, still I'm, on tour. I'm going yeah. to say I might have been there when that was happening. You know? mm. that, I'm that willing to bet been. you there's no might involved. <laughs> no. You were you were right there, weren't Front you? Front row. Possibly, you know. I mean, I, I may have graduated in the mid '80s, but I can still appreciate a good boy band every now and again. Yeah, when did you find a good boy band? Well, okay, you know, I'm still looking, so I got to keep listening. In my but... opinion, the last good boy band was the Monkees and the Beatles. I, think. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, probably. We still watch the old Monkees episodes, and I, my daughter's turning 21, and I, I turned her on to them. I said, "Oh, you got to watch some of these," and she asked me later. She goes, "Mom." What kind of drugs were they on when they made these? And I said, probably all the best ones here. Yes. It was a good series. Lots of fun stuff. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to chat with us about? I've got a couple other news stories. You're welcome no. to hang in. All right. No, well, I just uh, just thought I'd pop in with that. But you guys have a good Monday. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening and calling in, Wendy. Yeah, we bye. appreciate it. Uh, yeah, a lot of good shows. A lot of good concerts coming around. Uh, you know, we started talking. I don't want to get back into some of these stories real quick, but I want to uh, give you a chance. You were mentioning earlier about the uh, your, your podcast. How can people hear it? Oh, yeah. You can go on uh, online. At okay, Profession next story that we've got here. No, ProfessionConfession.com. <laughs> Profession, yep, um, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Really, anywhere you can get podcasts. How many episodes do you have out there now? Uh, we have 48 out, I believe. 47, 48, yeah. And so we're, we've got a, our 50th episode is going to be with a uh, pedophile that he has hmm. never molested children, but he identifies as a pedophile and his whole. Wait. Like, it's Hold a on, bizarre wait. story. So he. How are you a pedophile if you haven't done anything? So he's trying to, like. Pedophiles are attracted to children, yeah, but so not he necessarily. Has, yep, he's attracted to children, but he has never <laughs> acted on it. And so he's trying to, like, get people to separate the word pedophile from child mm-hmm. molester and that's like his big... he will never succeed no, no and it's it's a bizarre like i've found it on twitter and he's like all he does oh is try God. to defend the word heaven this pedophilia. sounds like a train wreck i need to listen it's, it's going to be a hu- uh, not it's gonna be a huge what? train wreck and probably like the best way ever right like, and that's when is that episode coming out uh where he's actually not from the u.s so we're trying to Get it worked out where it, his schedule lines up with our schedule. Is he in some place that he can't be extradited from? <laughs> Probably. But, uh, yeah, so once we get that, we're going to make that our, like, 50th episode and do a big big deal launch with that. So so he's attracted to children. So pedophilia is just having the attraction. The attraction to children, mm-hmm. yep. And he's saying he's never acted on, so he's not a child molester. But right. Well, he, there's a huge difference. He, and and so kudos he to the guy that knows how to shut that down. Yeah. Right. And he identifies as a pedophile. And we're like, you don't have like, why would you choose yeah. to identify as a pedophile? I feel like you should want to come up with a better word. name. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, nonetheless. Oh Hopefully, it's usable. Hopefully, it's, Hopefully usable. it's usable. That's the beauty of internet podcasting. You can get away with just about anything. Oh yeah, like we have. So how like, did you decide though in, in your conversation to you know? We've talked to some war vets. We've talked to uh, military. We've talked to uh, uh, some prison guards. Uh, you know what? We haven't had a good pedophile on in a long we, time. How do, you, how do you land on that topic? I don't even remember how we found him. He might have reached out to us and 
but we yeah we and some of our episodes we try to keep it career based but some of them we've kind of branched off like yeah, we did a say, special needs a parent yeah we did yeah. a special needs uh parent episode um but yeah we thought he'd have a good story to tell and i guess make his case for pedophilia i guess yeah for finding kids attractive i mean you know i think marketing has a lot to do with that mm-hmm. um and I'm, I can't say I'm not pointing the finger. I am wholeheartedly pointing the finger. And if you don't believe me, look up kids' Halloween costumes. Go do it right now. Yeah, Amazon. Really? Yeah, it's, it, yeah. it's not even like the costumes are slutty, but they've got the girls' hair all blown out, makeup all over, short skirts. And it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, why are you bothering to look, Dave? Because I have daughters. That's why. Um I just want to throw that clarification <laughs> yeah. out because people are going to be like, you seem to know a lot about right. this, but it's offensive. It's like, where do I get a costume that's just a costume right. for what my kid? The good old days of just, yeah, dressing up as a right. ghost. And... You know, I don't mind going to an adult party where there are adult slutty Disney princesses, but I don't want to see my daughter dressed <laughs> right. as one at the age of seven, you know? Yep. High heels and uh, oh, miniskirts yeah. for for little girls to do these costumes. and. It's in a lot of the outfits are being more portrayed that way. I sound like the old man getting ready right, to shake get my off fist, my don't line. I? But uh, no, but yeah, and then, I, I mean, because and, and then it's just getting ready for like when you get older, like in college and adult, like you said, adult parties, Halloween costumes are so lazy. It's oh, well, we're just gonna put on some cat ears and a bra. And yep, I'm a I'm a cat now. Hello, yeah. Harvey Kubernick. Hey, Harvey, how are oh, you? Is this good? I know I'm a couple minutes early, right? I'm yeah. okay to call now? Yeah, you're about five minutes early, but you're certainly welcome to, to join us on the show right now. Uh, Harvey, thank you very much for popping on with us and, and uh, joining us for the next segment. Promoting his book, The Doors, Summer's Gone, is uh, Harvey Kubernick. The Doors, Summer's Gone is a compilation of author Harvey Kubernick's interviews with the members of The Doors, keyboardist Ray Manzarek, drummer John Densmore, and guitarist Robbie Krieger, conducted between 1974 and 2017, as well as Doors engineer, producer Bruce Botnick, and Electra Records founder Jack Holzman. Welcome back to the show, Harvey. Thanks for joining us. I'm I'm so happy to be here. How are you? We're doing great. Uh, brand new book out. Is it available right now? Yeah, available at shops, retail, uh, Amazon, and through um, other world cottage industries, I'm really proud of this book. And uh, and I, yeah, I I do seem to remember the Doors played in 1968 November in Minneapolis at uh, one of your performance art centers. I know that. So uh, and I know that you go way back with the group. Well, Tom does. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually yeah, filling in for but Tom. You, but today. everybody there goes way back with the group. Definitely. Why Why do you think that The Doors, you know, I mean, it's 2018. The lead singer's been dead 40 years. Why do you think there is still such an overwhelming passion and interest in their music and in, in that era? You know, it's a question I've been asked for many years, and especially this century. And I have a few theories and observations. I mean, a generic answer is it's timeless music. Mm-hmm. And another thing is sometimes the current music is so derivative that we kind of flee back to the originators and the really authentic artists. But there is something about the era that the Doors, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, and a handful of so many other musicians and songwriters, and this goes back to the blues, R&B, the Brill Building, there's something about the creative intuitives that might have emerged from the late 50s that informed the art and the musicality of the 60s. And I think there was so much negative energy and so much hearsay and so much doubting Thomas mentality that people thought everybody looked funny, had long hair, this rock and roll thing is a fad, it'll last a few years. The Beatles kind of showed that there could be careers that could go a few years. But now we're dealing with half a century and and digital domain and new platforms and a multi-generational uh, listenership, um, the people haven't seen these people in the flesh. I mean, I, I'm, I'm from Hollywood. I thankfully was delivered on this specific planet and got to see and meet a lot of these people as a youth or as a teenager. And I become, like as Carlos Santana said, we become the messengers in the funnel 
to share the vibe. And it might sound hippie-ish and kind of silly and 60s and how West Coast, but we're all kind of sharing this thing. And in reality, the music, the sound, the recording, the engineers, the record label, everybody was in a complete teamwork mentality of creating the product to distributing the product to supporting the product. And we didn't have to combat like negativity and haters and online stuff. It was out there. You either dug it or not, but it certainly has longevity. It certainly does. We have to take a break. I'm curious what your thinks, what your thoughts are, Harvey. If Jim Morrison had hit now with his insecurities and struggles and the advent of just how cruel people are on social media, do you think the Doors would have been able to take off at this point? We'll discuss that and more as we talk about Harvey's book, The Doors, Summer's Gone, when we return to The Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here to tell you, Priority Courier Experts has immediate openings for drivers looking for more. Priority drivers are independent contractors who set their own hours, start from their own driveways, and deliver local on-call parcels and freight, which means you're home for dinner every night, and you get paid weekly. Right now, Priority's driver-friendly lease-to-own program has brand-new dock trucks, flatbeds, curtain sides, and tractor trailers just waiting to be driven home. And Priority is also offering a $4,000 sign-on bonus to qualified drivers. So if you've got the skills, we can get you qualified to start driving a brand new truck in as little as three days. Calling all drivers. Come get the $4,000 sign-on bonus you deserve for all the knowledge and experience you bring to the delivery business. Call Roger or Eddie right now at 651-748-4477 or visit them online at Priority.com. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver. Let's talk about good things. Does your car work? You got a roof over your head? You got kids, parents, a spouse who loves you, or a mate? These are the good things you have because you live in America, the country that has more immigration than any other nation on earth. You have these things because the U.S. military stands at a wall and protects you from any person or thing that would take them away from you. The entire volunteer military that stands at the ready just in case. The greatest fighting force ever known on planet earth. Every person serving in our military is ready to lay down their life for your freedom. And all too often, they do. I'm the executive director of the Gold Star Ride Foundation, an organization set up to do just one thing. Take care of families left behind when one of our brave fighters loses their life for you. We're riding motorcycles throughout the country to achieve this purpose, and you can help. Go to goldstarride.org and make a donation or learn where we are so you can come and ride with us. It's a small thing we do. It was a huge thing that they did. Goldstarride.org. That's goldstarride.org. Make a donation today. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strange. Welcome back. This is the Tom Bernard Show. Tom will be back with you guys live tomorrow. Joining me right now, Harvey Kubernick. His book, The Doors, Summer's Gone. What do you think? Could could Jim Morrison have flourished in our current environment, or do you think that the um, the onslaught of negativity and everybody's a critic would have just shattered him before he even made it? I think he, if he would have um, been able to apply some discipline as far as uh, you know nutrition and things like that, and mobility and participation with the corporate world, meaning. Uh, meetings with movie studios and things like that. I think he could be thriving, providing provided he was in the environment of his core group, the other members of the Doors. But we should always remember Ray Manzarek and Jim Morrison met at the UCLA School of Film. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make movies. They have their degrees in cinematography and, and film. And so that was one of the things Jim wanted to do and Ray wanted to do, and this certainly extends to Robbie Krieger and John Dinsmore. So you have jazz and rock music foundations with celluloid vision. That's a recipe that was popular back then, and certainly everybody wants to make a movie now. Everybody can make a movie now, but imagine if you had the clout and the, and the legacy and the record sales of the doors without some of the legal problems that existed in the personal uh, journey. I would never say demons and all that. That's to be defined. But I think 
if Jim was in a better cocoon type environment and really was focused, sort of like the doors were in late 65, 66, 67, and going through 68, that was one oiled machine that also allowed for improvisation and impulse to get out there. But that was during the height of his kind of drug and alcohol stupors as well, wasn't it? I mean, was he ever really in control? He was very much in control. I mean, this is a guy that early on, even before they got signed, was experimenting with some things that were still legal at the time. Mm -hmm. So he was always testing boundaries. But people back then, and remember, we're coming from Venice, California, and Hollywood and Laurel Canyon. This is a world that always, you know, they just didn't push the envelope. They were the envelope. And the, and the message in the mail was, was delivered, you know, sonically. And, and I admit, you know, as 69 and 70 unfolded for the doors, and especially Jim, um, there weren't going to be long, you know, 30-city national tours and big arenas right. and all that. In fact, I, was, I remember talking to Ray Man- Manzarek, and, and I do know, know these people. I've known them as teenagers. I saw the original group. I've, I've worked with them all, but I said to Ray Manzarek, God, I said this in 1974 in my first interview with Ray, I said, how do you deal with somebody who, you've got to be kind of dependable to be in a rock and roll band, especially if there's 10 or 20 dates lined up and radio interviews and photo sessions. Uh, how, how did you, how does Jim Morrison, how do you pin this thing on Jim Morrison as far as obligation? And he said, well, the Doors had a thing very early on. They would sort of um, go out and only do like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday concerts. They maybe leave Thursday and come back early Monday morning and then hang out Monday through Thursday at the beach or in Hollywood. And so they weren't taxing Jim to do five and 10 and 20 nights in like 22 days and that kind of stuff. So they very early on had an interesting game plan of rolling out the vibe. All right. And and having that kind of ability and knowing what their limitations were, you know, I guess that's that's probably the main state of why he, they survived as long as they did and did as well as they did. How did the band react? I mean, after the death of Morrison and the fact that he almost seemed to be kind of cleaning himself up, was it was it a shock to them? It it the physical death and the reports of the death were a shock because, like any hardcore celebrity back then, and the the nascent tabloid press will call it. Mm-hmm. There were a few reports over the years that Jim Morrison had died or had been in accidents, and that pertains to some celebrities over the years that still kind of happens. But, you know, he was in another country. He had had some respiratory problems and asthma and a punctured lung and not the greatest diet on the planet and also the pressures of a a legal suit, uh, you know, facing some jail time for... um, a indecent exposure charge in Dade County in Florida, which, by the way, only a few years ago um, he was pardoned for. Um, so you add up all those kind of things, and it does add pressure. And this is a 27-year-old person. Um, it's right. not somebody who – and also, he wasn't really built for this rock and roll world. This is the most fascinating thing I find out about Jim Morrison. He never really was in rock and roll bands before the Doors. He he. I don't even think he even had a day job. He was a student at junior colleges and at UCLA, and then all of a sudden he's kind of playing with Ray's group called Rick and the Ravens for a few months, um, making twenty five dollars occasionally, playing tambourine on Louie Louie. And then the doors go into this rehearsal hall, and John Dinsmore, the drummer, told me they'd be feeding Jim lyrics on pieces of paper as they were developing the songs that would end up on their debut album. He's not like everybody today that's got their first instrument at eight and is subscribing to Rolling Stone at nine and looking at spreadsheets and, and doing analytics of the kind of clothing and where we get our hair cut and alignments of which parties and receptions right. to go to and let's get the right lawyer at our bar mitzvah. I mean, that stuff did not exist with the Doors and Jim Morrison. So he really didn't, ex- he wasn't prepared for this thing. So you got a very raw talent who is emerging where Jim, where people like 
the drummer had been in bands since age nine. Ray Manzarek had been in groups in the army. Ray Robbie Krieger, the guitarist, had been in the Psychedelic Rangers. Imagine putting in—it's like a baseball player for the Twins in, in your city, who never really was in Triple A AA or Double A AA or Single A, signed right off a high school campus or a college, and all of a sudden you're in the starting lineup. That doesn't really happen today. The the book is out and available. When you talk to these guys, and, and even in later states of their life, was there anything that really surprised you about their story? Were there pieces that they gave you that you had no understanding of before? Every time I would interview the principals of the Doors, and even last week, mm-hmm. I ran into the guitarist Robbie Krieger at a at a market, like two days in a row, two different markets in Southern California. And he said, are you coming to my show at the Canyon Club in uh, Calabasas, California? And I said, uh, you know, I've seen you a lot. I've got everything. I'm on book deadlines. I can't go. And I'm kind of bummed out at some of the shows I go to where you play. And he said, well, what's the problem? And I said, do you know the last couple times I've seen you play, there was like three girls in the room. It's a, it's a bunch of guys. And Robbie said, yeah, the, a lot of the girls disappeared when Jim disappeared. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> but they, but I, I get to ask Robbie things like, you know, I find out, it's only recently that I realized he didn't really play with a pick like Jeff Beck. And he didn't use a lot of wah-wah pedal stuff on a lot of their albums, maybe on a couple of cuts like Peace Frog. So the sound, even the guitarist sound, isn't trapped with some of the technology, I wouldn't call them gimmicks, of the era. It's very fresh music, and and constantly, if I run into the drummer John Densmore, it's a jazz rap about John Coltrane, and and, uh, I'll ask about a tune, and they'll say, oh yeah, I got that influence from Elvin Elvin Jones. I constantly, because I focus on the music, I don't focus on the myth. I actually make it a point to be in the studios where they recorded all their music at various places. Um, And, you know, my parents are from Chicago. Ray was from Chicago. I might have gone to Fairfax High School, but I went to uni high school for summer school where John Dinsmore went to high school. I have these bioregional links with these people Mm -hmm. that I probably might be the right guy for this gig. But was there information? I mean, what what do you think was some of the most um, unbelievable information that you gleaned from them about the recording sessions and working at the height of their career? One of the um, one of the most uh, really interesting things that I found out about them. And this is from an interview with uh, Bruce Botnick, who engineered all the records and eventually engineered and co-produced the LA Woman album, the first Doors album was recorded like in 10 days because they had rehearsed the material over the previous year uh, and they went and they did that first album in 10 days. I mean, we're, we're now looking at an album that is 51 years old, sold millions of copies, and they had worked out the songs in clubs. But the, ma- the, the music sounds so fresh, you wouldn't have thought that some of these tunes were played 10, 20, or 30 times. That was that was kind of a revelation to me, right? Because to me, the Doors music always had that um, that spark of of though you know it was a lot of it might just be evolving as they were playing it at the time, and to have made it sound that way, but it was still fresh, and that they were just kind of rehashing. That's that's really kind of an interesting magic that they that they had. Yes, and I know the word magic is often uh, overused or exploited to put a little sheen on everybody, get everybody hot and bothered. But, you know, I like today, I was anticipating this interview, and I, I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity. And I was singing Moonlit Drive, where Morrison says, let's swim to the moon. And we're literally colliding with, like, the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Jim Morrison in 1965 is doing the line, let's swim to the moon. I mean, I don't think people were doing things like that or uh, talking about uh, a relationship, an incredible line uh, about a woman trapped in in a prison of her own device. 
it's not really a me too kind of statement no. but he just had these observations in fact recently um uh, Robbie Krieger was talking about the song love me two times and i thought it was i never quite knew what it was about but he but he had mentioned that it was about a guy either having to go to Vietnam or go to do some military op- military obligation, you know, and the lyric, once for tomorrow, once for today, like he was leaving his loved one or his wife or his girlfriend, love me two times before I go away, you know. I mean, you, and it's still, it's a, it's a war song. It's a commentary on war and departure, but it's still relevant today because how many people are in Iraq or whatever it is right. are experiencing the same movement, no, you're right. It, it's it's beautiful music. There was something about that, and and I think you know it was the elegance of Jim Morrison not being trapped by the machinations of the rock industry at that time, right? I mean, he was coming at it from a different perspective, as you said. It was they took a rookie out and put him into in, right into the lineup, so he wasn't following the same trappings, and maybe that's why the music really stood out. There's an, there's another element, and I don't. This is my theory. And it applies to the doors, and it applies to you too. I don't think it applies to too many rock and roll. Most rock and roll bands, shall we say, have a principal songwriter or a songwriter team. Right. And the Doors music was written largely by Jim Morrison, and Robbie Krieger was a very secret. He wrote a lot of "Light My Fire," "Love Me Two Times." He wrote some great songs by himself or in joint with the group, but. The interesting thing about the doors, and I think this lends to the longevity and the durability of their catalog and their impact on the world, it was a democratic band as far as revenue and fiscal income streams, meaning everybody in that group shared in the copyrights and the songwriting publishing including the drummer as an equal member. I believe that is existing in the group U2, where the drummer is an equal in revenue and, and income and, and songwriting splits and all that. But you don't really have that too often where everybody, and, and, and Ray Manzurk and I used to talk about this. Jim, Jim would say, I want to split it this way. I want it to be equal. Uh, you guys are in on the music. It's my words most of the time. And they had one for all, all for one. All four of them had to agree on on on, on bookings, gigs, right. venues, um, early usage of songs. I don't really think that exists in too many of today's artists, Most where you have not. this 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 groupdom. Right, and that's because, and that's why I think groups don't last long, and they don't create that kind of everlasting music. Harvey Kubernick, the book is called The Doors. Summer's gone. It's out and available. Thank you for stopping by, Harvey. Thank you all for tuning in and being a part of our show. Tom will be back with you tomorrow. I'm Dave Schrader. Check me out at darknessradio.com. You've been listening to The Tom Bernard Show.